When I hear people say, I lost faith, I picture them giving up, no longer able to keep looking. It wasn't like that for me. I even thought selfishly, witnessing a war would bring me closer to God. But the more I prayed, the more empty my prayers seemed. They were whispers into a void. I was looking for a sign, any sign. But it was quiet. Well, welcome back. It's the final week of our series called At the Movies. Now today I'm going to try to do the impossible. Right, I'm going to try to put a bow on this entire series as we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes and using movies to help us to understand some of the things and some of the themes that Solomon was trying to share. You know, over the past several weeks, we've walked through just the really the first four, four and a half chapters of Ecclesiastes. And we've examined what we've called Solomon's pursuit of the meaning of life. At least, that's kind of what it appears to be, right? That's what he seems to be chasing after, is that pursuit, and certainly he's looking for meaning. But Solomon, for much of his life, has been lost. He's lost his way. And some might even say that he has lost his faith. And as much as he was searching for the meaning of life, he was looking for faith, his faith, that he'd lost in the midst of all of this. Solomon looked for it in all kinds of places, all of the usual suspects, but everything that he did, every place that he looked, every way that he was able to look was limited to what we called under the sun, that which he could see and tangibly observe. Solomon didn't have the ability to sit down and have an interview with God. What would Solomon have asked God if he could have sat down and had an interview with him? What would you ask God if you could sit down and have an interview with him? In our movie today, you've probably guessed that that's exactly what's going to happen. Our main character, his name is Paul, and he gets a chance to sit down and have an interview with God. A conversation. A chance to ask everything that he would ever want to. And some really interesting things show up in the course of that interview. Let's watch as the first session Paul takes Ash. place. With the Herald. Oh. Uh, sorry, do you mind? Okay, a few ground rules. I'm recording this conversation for accuracy. Also, three sessions today, tomorrow, and Friday. When we're done, I'll show you what I wrote, but I retain editorial control. Do you agree? Agreed. Shall we? Okay, today is June 1st. Please say your name and spell it. I'm God, G-O-D. Okay, so you're God, the God. 
The one who created everything, heaven and earth in six days. Uh, yep, uh, but uh, then I rested. Still, nice work. Well, thank you. I try, but is this really what you wanted to know? Just some biographical information about my work? I'm sure you could read all about it in a book somewhere. Well, sure, but you know, my readers expect some fact-checking in my work. Facts, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, always the facts. Okay, fine. Uh, well, please continue. You're waiting for me to ask. Uh, ask what? For proof. Uh, proof that you are who you say you are. Yeah, proof. Well, uh, tell me, Paul, when you pray, do you uh, ask for proof uh, that God is listening? No, of course not. And this is your lucky day. How so? I'm here, answering your questions. So what do I tell the people who say you don't exist? You tell them that I understand, but the world they see is just that. And sometimes that's just the way it looks. That's a good answer. Good. I'm glad. Okay, uh, the lightning round, and in no order. <laughs> lightning round, that's cute. Uh, what is the meaning of life? To live, to struggle, to serve God, and to ask questions like, what is the meaning of life? Are the Torah and the New Testament the word of God? Of course, uh, but as understood by man and as translated by man. So there are some wiggles on that? No. Well, everyone has their own journey, but there is only one path. Is there a heaven? Oh, yes, but try not to think of it as just a place. So Satan is also real? Yes, but uh, frankly, Satan is overrated. Overrated? That's a funny way to put it, how so? He only has power to the extent that you give it to him. What happens to us after we die? You are reunited with the everlasting. So my soul is immortal? Wouldn't be much of a soul if it wasn't. Can an atheist be a moral person? Sure. sure. And you can build a home on no foundation, but you just better hope that the earth never shakes. What's 2,427 times 648? 1,572,696. <laughs> For real? I'm sorry. 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 No, it's all right. <laughs> God forgives. But this is interesting. What's that? There's a lot of good questions here, but you haven't asked me the one question I get asked almost more than any other. No? What's that? No. Take a guess. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's the one. No, that's not on my list. And frankly, I don't like that question very much. No? Why not? Because... It's not really a question, is it? It's a complaint. What it really means is, why do bad things happen to me? And the person asking is assuming they're a good person, which seems arrogant to me. But Paul, bad things do happen to some very good people. It is a big question. Yes, I know. And Paul, answer it if you'd like. No. Let's move on. Okay. Does free will exist? And how do we reconcile it with God's will? Of course there's free will, Paul. 
And everybody knows this is true. The entire foundation of human law depends on the existence of free will. Try going before a judge when you've been charged with a crime. Blame your actions on God's will. See how that works out for you. Hmm. Now, does this mean that every human act is a matter of free will? Of course not. No more that you can use free will to grow back an amputated limb. So stuff happens and God says, amen, don't look at me. No, no. You have to understand that my will and human free will are not contradictory because they are not two versions of the same thing, but they do fit perfectly together. I designed it that way. Yeah, but if I can't tell where one begins and the other ends, do you see my problem? Hmm. Yeah, I think I see. Do you? Yeah, is the problem that you don't trust God's plan or is the problem that you don't trust yourself? Oh, great. So if God's got a plan, I'm covered, right? I should have just stayed in bed because for all I know, it's part of his plan. That's not what I'm saying and you know it. All right, look here, chess, right? Pieces interact, there's rules, mm -hmm. you know, there's give and take. But no two pieces can occupy the same space at the same time. That's a lot like you and me. People make choices and those choices have consequences. And if knowing my will were part of every human decision, how would anything ever happen? You'd be paralyzed every morning trying to decide whether to brush your teeth vertically or horizontally. So trying to know God's will is what? A waste of time? No, not at all. Paul, I'm only telling you what you already know. You have to make your own choices. And you have to live by those choices, no matter how you arrived at them. So we should just give up then, right? I mean, he, he's asking that question, and that's the same question that Solomon asks and seemingly has been asking throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, he ends the book much the same way that he began it in chapter 12, verse 8. It says this, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know, many people have noted that these words here in 12, 8 are the same at the very beginning back in chapter 1 as they are at the very end. It forms what we call an inclusio, right? It has a beginning and an end. It sandwiches everything in between. And then there are a few verses that follow after this that kind of give us a conclusion of everything that has been written and said. But let me tell you a few things about this inclusio because the structure of that inclusio, the starting and the ending with the same statement, reinforces the main point of the entire book of Ecclesiastes that there is nothing new underneath the sun. Nothing new. That what has happened, and really probably the reason that this book continues to be so impactful, how is it that a book that was written 3,000 years ago is so imp impactful is because what has been is what is, and it is what will continue to be. We're all still asking the same questions. And I have a feeling that if you were to have a sit-down with God, while you may not say the exact same words, the tenor and the tone of the questions would probably be real similar between all of us. Because we're all still asking the same questions. You know, it's true. Solomon started and ends 
with these words of vanity, of vanities. In fact, the word is hevel. We've talked about it before, but it's this idea of like steam or a breath or something, a vapor that exists that you just can't quite grab a hold of or grasp. It's there. You see it. You know it's there, but you just can't get a hold of it. And so he starts it there and he ends it there. And you might be left going, well, if that's the case, is, did he just not come to anything? And that would miss everything that happened in the book of Ecclesiastes. You see, while it looks to have come full circle that everything is just meaningless, anybody that has heard the things that Solomon says is forever impacted and changed by the words that he said. Our entire perspective changes by hearing the words of Ecclesiastes. In the end, we're left with this knowledge of knowing this, that meaning or faith cannot be found apart from God. And upon its conclusion, we understand that all life and all faith apart from God is nothing but meaningless. Let's see what happens in the second interview. Okay, recording, June 2nd, Paul Asher, interviewing God. I'd like to talk to you about salvation, Paul. What do you mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? Paul, I'm not trying to be difficult, but we should establish what you think it is before we can discuss it, right? Salvation means different things to different people. Yes, it does. It's very personal. Well, it is the most personal in the end, and I mean literally in the end. And there's nothing more personal than salvation. It's just you and your soul. Can't get more intimate than that. Hard to argue. So when I ask you what you think it is, it's only to help me answer your questions properly. That's why we're here, right? You ask, I answer. Okay. Okay, salvation means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. But I'm a Christian, so let me answer it from that perspective. Salvation is returning to a state of perfection with the Almighty and absolution from sin forever. Excellent. It's a very good definition. You got right to the heart of the matter. Thank you. But you sidestepped several thousand years of disagreement over how you actually get there. Well, I'm a Jesus, so I'm covered. Thanks. Oh, are you sure about that? What does that mean? No, nothing. I'm, I'm just asking. As I said, I'd like this interview to be about you, and I answered your question, so salvation. Salvation. Okay. So, for the uh, sake of uh, for the sake of discussion, uh, let's pretend that I am a manufacturer and you are a consumer, and you tell me how would you rate the product? Okay. On the one hand, it's the greatest product ever: redemption from sin, reunification with God for eternity after a lifetime on Earth. Wow. Who wouldn't want that product? If that doesn't sell itself, nothing ever will. Well, I'm glad you approve. On the other hand... On the other hand, what? On the other hand, is the only product I can think of where proper use involves returning it to the maker. And there's really only one way that can happen. Everybody wants to get to heaven? But no one wants to die, exactly. And I think that slight uh, complication is mitigated by the fact that everyone will die. So it's really just about the when, the product, not the what. Uh, but uh, what else? Really? There's one aspect that you left out, uh, the one that I mentioned in the first place, the how. Now, well, we can call it instructions, just to stay with our metaphor. Um, the Bible's a bestseller year after year, but... But? 
I think the instructions are a little confusing. Well, no one ever said knowing my will would be easy. Right, but knowing God's will isn't really the problem, is it? The scriptures are full of rules. Yes, they are. I can think of ten just off the top of my head. <laughs> right, but that's the Old Testament, the Torah. The New Testament is different. God gave us his son. That was a game changer. Yes, indeed it was. Jesus was super clear. John 14, 6, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. Seems very clear to me. But that can't be right. No. Because everyone's a sinner. Yes. If we're saved through faith and faith alone, why would anyone follow all the other rules? But is faith all it takes? You're a murderer? So what? Liar? No problem. Philanderer? Hey, everyone makes mistakes. So, what's the problem? All right. No offense, but I think you have a misunderstanding about the nature of faith. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I told you, I've always had faith. There it is. See? I've always had faith. Paul, do you see what I mean? No, not really. What are you saying? Paul, if you think faith is enough, I mean, it's not, but if you do, would you just start being an immoral person? How do you know I'm not an immoral person? Because you just told me. You said you have compassion and I believe you. So what could you possibly do that would be beyond my powers to forgive you? I, uh, I don't want to talk about this. Can we change the subject, please? Why? Why? Because it's personal. But you have no secrets from me. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. And my life is not the topic of this conversation. But it really is, Paul. I don't know how many more ways I can say this, but you need to start hearing me. Okay. We've done enough for today. No. Thank you. All right, all right. You, you can ask me anything you want. That's what I've been doing, but it doesn't really get me anywhere. I've been more than deferential to your claim of who you are, but I, I keep asking questions. You keep giving me these evasive answers. Why am I here? Because I would like to help you if you will let me. Thanks. I've got it covered. Everything's under control. Oh, okay then. Yeah, well, that's, that's very good to hear because uh, you are about out of time. Well, I had five more minutes, but I'm happy to forfeit that time to the next prophet. No, Paul. I mean you are about out of time. Are you saying? Yes. I'm very sorry. This is a joke? No. No joke, Paul. I'm sorry. Sick joke. <laughs> Why would you tell me that? Because you said so yourself, Paul. Dying is just about the when. So why can't the when be now? This interview is over. Well, we, we still have tomorrow. There is no tomorrow! And uh, I'll let you know where, just in case you change your mind. I'm pretty sure I won't. I don't even know why I agreed to this. You prayed, Paul. You asked for help. That's why I'm here, and I thought an interview would be a place where a journalist would be comfortable. Well, congratulations. You got that exactly wrong. I'm not comfortable at all with this. Salvation is real, Paul. And it can still happen for you, but you need to understand something very important. Faith isn't something that you can just have, not in the conventional sense. Because faith isn't the goal. Faith is the process. It's a lot like a marriage. The vows you take aren't the end, they're, they're just the beginning. It takes time and dedication. Every day. <laughs> wow. Paul. Paul, would you like to know when it will happen? 
No. Solomon continues on at the end of the book, and he says this. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. See, in this last little bit, after the inclusio, the book of Ecclesiastes, it switches. It switches from a what that it's been in all of the first part to now a how. Let me back up for just a second and give you what maybe we should have done the very first week, which is this gigantic picture of what the whole book of Ecclesiastes looks like. You see in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, Solomon gives us an opening statement and he introduces the theme of the entire book. But then in verses 12 all the way through chapter 6, verse 12, Solomon tells us the story of his pursuit to find meaning in life. Or as we said earlier, to find the faith that he had lost. And while it's true we didn't tackle any of chapters 7 through 11, Solomon then shows us what it looks like for us to live for God in a world that is filled with vanity. And who knows? Maybe next year we'll tackle part two of At the Movies and do chapters 7 through 12. I'm not promising anything right now, but we might. But especially... When you look at these verses, we know that they are talking back about what we've read in Ecclesiastes, right? That the preacher taught the people, that he was very intentional, he was trying to impart knowledge, that he was trying to give weight, and he studied, and he arranged all of the Proverbs so that they were there to guide, and he had gave great care and diligence to what was going on. But even more so, even more so, this tells us some, something important about how the Bible as a whole was written and constructed. You see, Solomon didn't give us something that was just helter-skelter here and there thrown together, but it was something that was well-constructed. It was something that is complete, and he intentionally moved through a process. Could he have given us the answer to what is the meaning of life in chapter 1? Yeah, could have. But if he had done that, and if he had saved us the last six weeks of us wrestling with the things that we've wrestled with, we'd have missed out on the process. I believe that Solomon was trying to emphasize that God is not interested in a product, but a process. God is not interested in a product, but a process. You see, there's a misconception that exists, and that is that we become Jesus followers because of a simple prayer that we pray. But that's no more true than anybody in this room who is married saying that I am married and I have a marriage because of a vow that I made on my marriage day. Listen, Christianity and salvation is not 
a product. It's a process. It's a process that is steeped in relationship. And just like a marriage has a moment where they both said, I do, and it took the relationship to the next level, there's a moment with Jesus that you say, I do, and it takes the relationship to the next level. But that's not an end product. You know, Paul in the movie made several statements that I think most of us have probably heard somebody else say, if not made them ourselves. I'm with Jesus, so I'm all good. I have faith. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, not the guy in our film, said this in Philippians. He said, therefore, my beloved, just like you have obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but even more so in my absence, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, salvation is not an end product that we buy, we click yes, and then everything's done and it's all okay. It's a process. It's a process that begins when we say yes to Jesus. And it does not end. That process does not end until either one of two things takes place. Either we die and get to return it to the maker, or he comes back. Well, Paul's supposed to have three interviews with God, so he set out at the very beginning. It just so happens that he comes back for the third time to talk with him. So let's find out what happens in their third conversation. Okay, recording Friday, June 3rd, last interview. Let's talk about salvation. That's not on your list for today, is it? No, it's a big topic. Oh, I know. A big topic for my readers? Mine too. Okay, so what's the problem? Hmm, apparently we didn't delve deeply enough. Well, you know, now it feels just a little more personal to me. I thought it might. Really? That's all you got from me? What more do you want? Oh, I don't know, some answers. Okay. How's this for a headline? Your life is not an audition for the afterlife. And if you can stop worrying about that, you just might have time for other things. Things like loving one another and living your life. However long that is. Yeah. Paul, I've given you a great gift. A new justification, a new responsibility. But it's up to you to receive my gift before it's too late. See right there. You say you're here to help me, but that kind of sounds like a threat. Well, why can't I do two things at the same time? Hmm? But there's never a real threat without a real consequence. So you are here to threaten me. Is that what you really think? Either way, I'm hoping for a better outcome than a Noah's day. Oh, me too. And back then it took a flood, but now it's just you and me in this room with that digital recorder. Mm. I forgot to turn off your phone. Yeah. And now you're leaving. Yes.
are you? Have a seat, Paul. Let's talk about it. No, tell me who you are. I really think you should... Who are you? You know who I am. The Prince of Lies? Think back over the past three days, Paul. Have I told you one lie? Yes. No, I don't know. Well, which is it? I don't know. Everything you said could have been a lie. But every word was true, and you know it. You told me you were God. Yes. The God! That's right. Well, bad news. According to my friend, you're dead. <laughs> well, I understand, but sometimes that's just how it looks. I promise you, God lives. <laughs> I can't believe I agreed to this. Why did you even contact me? <laughs> you contacted me. What are you talking about? You did. What? You contacted me. Three days, three interviews, three locations. And how did I do that? What? You contacted me! And how did I contact you? Did I call you, send you a letter? Was it an email? Snapchat? How? You... You... you s I don't know. Paul, think about it. No, this can't be happening. But it is. So please, why don't you sit down and we can talk about it. I'm just here to help you. Help? Yes. That's a laugh. How have you helped? By stopping you from making a very bad decision. By keeping you safe. Safe? Yes. You told me I was going to die. Yes. You were going to tell me when. Yes, but you already knew. What are you talking about? How could I know? How could I possibly know? You knew exactly when. How could I know? Because it was going to happen by your own hand, Paul. <laughs> no. No, you don't know that. There aren't always signs when someone is in trouble. But you can't hide from me. Why are you doing this to me? You've just lost your way. No, you let this happen to me. How so? I prayed. I prayed. I know. I begged you for help. And you think bad things happen to you because I don't care? You didn't listen. Bad things happen all the time. Every day. Every minute of every day. And you know that. You said it yourself. And it's very sad. But the truth is, most people only seem to notice bad things when they happen to them. And maybe that's the saddest part of all. You really need to sit. Why don't you help us? I hear you. I hear it all. Why is there war, starvation, poverty, disease, fire, flood, a child goes missing, a man loses hope? Do something! Yes, do something. You have more power than you know, Paul. Food can be grown, diseases can be cured, wars ended. A troubled veteran can be helped and a marriage saved. So. When you ask me why all this is happening, start by looking to each other. And that's where I'll be. Oh, I need a miracle. Well, miracles happen every day. And sometimes... Please. Sometimes the miracle is you. So we've seen here at the end the conclusion of the what. Right? We've seen the construction of the how. But before we move on, I want to say just a, a few more things about the how. Reading on in verse 11, Solomon writes that the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails that are firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. The words were written like a goad. Now a goad is something that they would use with like one of the beasts of burden, like an ox. Right? And the best way to describe it is it was a long, sharpened stick. 
Now, an ox is an incredibly powerful animal. And he can do some incredibly powerful things and pull things. But he's also stubborn. And if he doesn't want to do something, he won't. And so the tool of a shepherd is to take the goad and to poke the ox. Not enough to seriously harm him, but enough to make him uncomfortable so that he won't remain where he's at. That's you and me, right? Solomon says that these words are like that. They're designed to be like a goad to make us a little bit uncomfortable so that we won't stay right where we're at to move us, to move us in the direction that God wants us to be going. But at the same time, but at the same time, the truth is fixed and not moving. That's what he means by calling these words like nails that are firmly fixed. He's saying that it's the truth that isn't changing. Even though there's a goad to prompt us and to move us, the truth doesn't change. And then Solomon acknowledges that the words that are shared, they're not words that are given by him. Rather, they are words that are given by the one true shepherd. There's only two other places in the Old Testament where that term is used. One is in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Another one is in Psalms 80. It was a term that was about God Almighty. And Solomon is saying God is the one who is goading us on in this process. And thus, these words are a part of the inspired and infallible and inerrant word of God, the Almighty. And with that, Solomon moves on and he finally conveys the why. The entire book's why, the meaning of life, where it is that faith begins and ends. Verses 13 and 14, the last two verses of the book. He says, the end of the matter, everything's been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is not the first time in the book that Solomon has said that we should fear God. In fact, it's actually the fifth. In all the others, he gives some sort of caveat alongside of what that looks like, what that means. And I think that this one right here is what I would say is the compilation of all of those other fears that he mentions. He's talked about that we should fear God because God's work is eternal. He says that we should fear God because God demands holy worship from us. He says that we should fear him in our times of adversity and in our times of prosperity. And then he says that we should fear him so that it might go well with us. 
So here, at the conclusion of the book, when he says that we should fear him, he's saying all of those things, a compilation of all of them. Then he says that we are to keep the commandments. Now, there's a great scene in the movie that we just didn't have time for it. Or I would have left it in. But they have a discussion about the commandments of the Old Testament versus the commandments of the New Testament, and that Jesus doesn't quote all of the Old Testament commandments. In fact, he only quotes six out of the top ten. And they have an incredible discussion about that. But at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, here's what I want you to know that both Solomon understood and that Jesus knew, and that is that keeping the commandments simply displays the attitudes of our heart, not our abilities to be good. And thank goodness, because my ability to be good is zero. <laughs> Just ask my wife afterwards, she'll tell you. So here it is, the final message of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not a book that means nothing matters, as we might think, but really it's a book that means everything matters. Everything that we did, the way that we did it, so what we did, how we did it, and even why we did it matters. All of it has eternal significance. And as the movie pointed out, probably the most personal, the most personal decision that any and every single one of us can make is about salvation, is about Jesus. See, Jesus came into a world that was filled with futility, was filled with frustrations, and he experienced the same frailty that you and I experience life in. And he took the judgment of God that Solomon talks about right here at the very end so that you and I one day would not have to take and experience that judgment. That's the beginning and the end of salvation. And that is the most personal of all of the decisions that we could ever possibly make. And Jesus is the only road that you can go down to get to that salvation. Sure, we all take our own paths we all learn our own things, but Jesus is still the only way. So where is it that the meaning to life and faith are both found? Solomon didn't have a full answer because it hadn't come yet. But the answer is Jesus.
Having faith isn't worth much if you don't really believe. I kept praying, sure, but I stopped looking or even listening. What could you possibly do that would be beyond my powers to forgive? So, yeah, I see it now. Definitely a sign. <laughs>